Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, helping higher education marketing leaders share knowledge about learning, strategies, and tactics that are relevant today. See what you can learn today by listening to one of our episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, hosted by Concept3D. Before we jump in, I'll give a quick explanation about what Concept3D does. Concept3D helps bring your campus to life virtually. We have served the higher education community for over a decade with our award-winning interactive maps and virtual tours. Improve your campus communication, student engagement, and recruitment with our powerful location-based virtual solutions. My name is Shiro, and I will be your host today. I am currently the director of demand generation at Concept3D, and I'm currently speaking from my home in Silverthorne, Colorado, which is a little mountain town about an hour west of Denver. And today, I'm super excited to have Kurt Dirks join us today. Uh, Kurt is a higher ed education leader that focuses on strategic enrollment management. He's helped and worked at institutions like uh, College of Mount St. Vincent, Hofstra University, and is currently the strategic partnership manager at OTHOT. He's also super passionate about lacrosse and coaching, and that's actually what led him down the path of higher ed. Kurt, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Really excited for our conversation. Where are you calling in from today? And second part of the question is, do you have one fun fact to kick us off? Sure. Uh, so I am currently in St. Augustine, Florida. I uh, moved down here a couple years ago now with my family, wife, two kids, and soon to be third kid as well to be close to my parents. Uh, another fun fact, I guess, uh, for me is uh, I actually uh, reached retirement age at the age of 14. Uh, so between the ages of 7 and 14, uh, I developed a little Gatorade stand where I found a need of these middle-aged guys playing basketball in the beating sun outdoors. And I noticed that they you know, didn't have anything to drink with them or it was minimal. And so I was able to convinced my dad uh, to develop this little Gatorade lemonade stand and I was able to uh, make a good amount of money during the summer uh, selling Gatorade to those guys. No way. Entrepreneurship. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Great. Well, I know we had a previous call just to kind of you know get to know each other and one thing we really dove deep on was, you know, your passion and support around first-generation students in higher ed. Um, that was very interesting. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, so, you know, that wasn't always the case. I just kind of kept rolling with the punches, as we say. So when I got my start in admission, uh, I was a road warrior with Mercy College for a satellite campus in Manhattan uh, and really started working with a very diverse background of students, uh, freshmen, transfer, and otherwise. Um, you mentioned I worked at Hofstra. When I transitioned over there, I actually took on the responsibility in addition to my actual recruitment to manage a, an opportunity program that they call the Higher Education Opportunity Program, or HEOP, HEOP, uh, which is a New York State funded program for private institutions. Um, again, working with the full gamut uh, of students. And so, you know, took that on to other roles as well at the College of Mount St. Vincent, which is actually uh, a nationally recognized uh, HSI, very successful in, in the things that they do in preparing students from lower income brackets to then out earn their parents 
after graduation in a very quick timeline. Uh, so I, I just think that with all of that said, seeing the uh, opportunities that those students can get their hands on and then just the success that a lot of times some of those students didn't think was attainable uh, is just so much more rewarding. Um, you know, you look at myself and what my upbringing was, uh, I, I am what we call a downwardly mobile student uh, in that, you know, my, my family was very successful, prepared me, and it was like a guarantee that I would go to a four-year institution. And they also instilled in me in, in giving back. And so from my background, uh, you know, I am not the, tip, the student that I typically work with, uh, but I am passionate about helping people. Uh, and I think, you know, education is the greatest way to elevate not only yourself, but also your family standing. Uh, and so uh, that's really where that, that passion was uh, cultivated, developed, and continues today. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, I know, I think you mentioned you're really passionate about working with students directly, you know, and, and looking at students as, as people and not just numbers. I know that, you know, sometimes that's where the road can go, and I think we mentioned that a little bit as well. Yeah, I just think that, you know, there's still so much uncertainty out there in the college admission process, and, you know, being a part of it for so long, I, I feel like I have a good understanding of it and can <laughs> use that understanding and, and kind of give it to people so that they can make better decisions in this process, right? Because there's a lot of bad decisions that are being made. Um, and it's our job to be more transparent, um, provide the information uh, so that people can digest it, understand it, and make a good choice with, with their livelihood uh, later on. I mean, um, and a lot of that, we see that a, a lot more with first-generation students that don't have the resources that are out there typically. I mean, we have a a ratio of student to uh, guidance counselor, I think on average of 450 to one, which is just mind boggling. Um, and mm -hmm. obviously can't be fixed in a day. Um, but that's where, you know, knowing those types of pieces of data and that information as an administrator, you know, put it on our, on myself. And I know a lot of other people do as well to make their websites more clear and concise. Um, translate them into different languages. Uh, documentation after the website as well. Uh, just, you know, putting all of that information out there in a way that people can understand it is going to move the needle in a better way. Of that. I know one, one thing very related to what you're talking about is, you know, working towards the results of students, and this can apply to, you know, all students, but especially for our first generation students is you know I know we talked about there's that you saw there's opportunity for a lot of institutions to um, make more from financial aid resources like Pell Grants and you know use that towards supporting the students not just for the first year for for just the first year enrollment but really for the whole life cycle and being more results and ROI focused. Yeah I think you know I, I'm an admission guy uh, my my last kind of role uh, as the Dean of Admission at, at CMSV, I sort of took on more of a, I, I took on an additional role, if you will, um, where I was concerned with student persistence because we didn't really have too much of an enrollment problem. And to me, 
looking out there, yeah, we have like the demographic cliff coming up and everything. But for the most part, students want to go to college, right? There is some negativity these days about it. Um, people are finding different avenues of how to navigate this and, and come out with mm -hmm. a degree, but that credential is still something that everybody's after. Um, right. But I, so I don't, I don't know if there's too much of an enrollment problem, certainly at different pockets of like schools, there probably is. But students want to go to college, have that four-year experience, uh, especially on campus, as we saw even with the pandemic rearing its ugly head. Um, mm -hmm. To me, we have more of a persistence issue, right? We have a, more of the ROI. We have a lot of students that are stopping out. We have been conditioned to understand that college is no longer the best four years of my life. It's now the best six because we're looking at six-year graduation rates. And as I look back, I'm like, when did that happen? Like, I too was conditioned, <laughs> even even as an admission counselor. It's like, yeah, you graduate in six years, 64%. It's like, why did I accept that? That's that's kind of, aside from the the, the dual programs, right, where they're five years long and you get a right. master's credential, you're, uh -huh. you're not graduating on time, right? And right. your Pell Grants that you mentioned before have run out. And so now the four-year expenditure for parents has now become six. And that's not going to work for anybody. Does that mean after the four years, their, their, their costs are gone up significantly as well, right? That's and so, right. So you're looking at more student debt or an increased student debt. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about like Pell Grant and how it should be used, it's very expensive to educate a, a student. We have very... Uh, a number of different line items in terms of costs for a college or university to endure, whether public or pri private, um, and they go up mm -hmm. every year, much like inflation, as we see. So it's it's tough to try and allocate those funds. But what would be interesting to me, and I, I posted it on my LinkedIn yesterday, there was an article uh, about Pell Grants and how much has been um, you know distributed uh, and everything by the U.S. government. But there was no data on the persistence or the completion of that same student population that they were tracking, right? And maybe mm -hmm. they do have the information and they just didn't publish it because they didn't want the article to be 10 times as long. Um, but, you know, I didn't see any. And so you can't analyze it. And so what's interesting is that when I talk about Pell, it's like, well, that, that should be used. Like colleges are taking that money to take in the students. Students is taking that money to go to education, to get their education. And a lot of them are stopping out, right? We have, we have a 46% a of the adult population in the US has a bachelor's degree, 46%, right? So we have so many stopouts, uh, we mm -hmm. have stopouts, dropouts, whatever you wanna call them, right? Those are two different populations of students. We are, mm -hmm. we are failing. That to me, that's an F, right? That metric should hopefully be in a passing grade at some point, somehow. And so that's really what we got to fix. Wow, okay. Love that. And is, do, you, do you happen to know statistics around like students that do re receive financial aid? Is the dropout rate higher or lower than you know, regular students? Across the board, uh, I would not know. Uh, from my okay. experience at the Mount, um, and Hofstra, it varies. It varies, yeah. right? Some some students will have extenuating circumstances beyond finances, but 
finances is by and large the the number one reason as mm -hmm. to why students stop out or drop out completely um and yeah it's it's unfortunate what what do you think you know uh admissions marketing recruitment enrollment marketing teams what do you think they could be doing better to help support this or maybe it's a, a communication issue yeah certainly that's a a piece of it is communication, um, mm -hmm. timely communication, uh, whether it's clear, concise, um, and if it's standard as well. If you've got one college telling you one thing, another college telling you another thing, you mm -hmm. know that's gonna, that's going to muddy the waters as well in the decision making to go to a school. Uh, on the marketing end, you know, once a student is actually there, I think it's more um, certainly if a if a school had an opportunity that came into the school, whether it be additional funding or something like that, and that a student would potentially qualify or something. Uh, that's That should go into the marketing. Uh, stipulations uh, and the fine print, if you will, about scholarships and uh, if a student drops below a certain qualification metric, like you know what their plan is, right? Um, a lot of students probably have no idea and they see that they, they're gonna lose their scholarship and they don't see that it's a uh, probation period for an entire semester, and they say, okay, I'm out. You know, that, that's mm. huge. That, that's a big miss, right? We, right, you, right? You're not out. You're still here. Uh, right. But a lot of people have that misconception. So that's definitely where you know, marketing and communication can come into, into play. And then, obviously, with the resources on, on campus, uh, it's really important, hopefully, to have those technologies that can create early alert systems, right, for not only the administrator, but also the student mm -hmm. as well. And unfortunately, a lot of schools are so cash-strapped that either they don't have those resources and can't bring them in, they have those resources and the people are so, the, the, the personnel are so stretched thin that they don't even use it, right. et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a whole ball of wax, man. Wow, okay. I know um, switching gears just slightly, this is something I hadn't heard and it again relates back to you know increasing the DEI goals first generation students you know the financial aid letter and why you believe there should be a standard process I know we probably can't make the change alone but it, it was a great topic that I think really does affect first generation students do you want to tell us a little bit more on your thoughts there sure sure I mean even even if you did it state by state maybe you could you know compartmentalize right. it and have some champions right uh, but this that kind of goes back to just you know my experience in New York and seeing competing offers from schools in other states or even within the state and the practices that the financial aid offices would go through to then cultivate a letter uh, where you had a letter saying one thing um, and a bottom line for a student whether they be first generation or not uh, and then they'd have a similar letter to a school 20 minutes away and it'll be a completely different bottom line. And you know, both schools are relatively the same. They're both private, let's say, or they're both public, but there's two different line mm -hmm. items. And it's like, what's, what's going on here? Um, that, that shouldn't happen. You know, in my opinion, there should be a standard, right? Where, you know, and this is kind of shooting from the hip a little bit because I don't know the nuances, <laughs> college to college, right? right? But if you could, you, if we could require the bucketization, if you will, of aid, and then uh -huh. what actually goes into a bottom line, 
I think we're getting somewhere, right? That's a good start, right? Here's your institutional aid. And in that letter, you say, you do not have to pay this back, right? And then you have your state and federal aid that is either in grant money, you do not have to pay this back. And then you have the loans, if you were to enroll in these, the, you know, all of that stuff. And there's language around those, but it oftentimes comes on the second page, right? And people are so tired mm -hmm. of reading through pages and pages, and they, they, you know, hopefully shouldn't. They should read through this kind of stuff because it's really important. But when right. they see a one-sheeter, a lot of times, sometimes what I would find is our school would offer an amount, and we would give mm -hmm. the bottom line. And then we'd give a, a second bottom line that included other loans or those types of things and a verbiage on what that entails to get your your bottom line to zero dollars. And then right. we'd have a competing school saying, your bottom line is zero dollars. Now, if I'm a first generation kid, my parents didn't go to school, I didn't have resources in my high school to read through this stuff, which do you think I'm gonna choose? The Probably one that the one that says zero to you. <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah. little do you know that entails a much larger loan at a much larger interest rate for you or potentially mom and dad, right? And we keep right. talking about this trillion dollars. I don't even know what the figure is these days. Maybe it's multiple yep. trillions on student debt. We haven't even talked about parent debt or graduate student debt. Forget it. It's, right. it's insane how, to me, sorry, um, how little uh, speaking engagements we have on responsible borrowing for students. For students, yep. Right? Yeah, and, and I think you mentioned a really good point. It's like it, a lot of this falls on their parents as well. And if your parents aren't used to navigating this, this paperwork, like, you know, how, how is this, how's the child going to know, right? How's the student going to know? Right, right. Yeah, and then, you know, I look around and there are a few, like, financial aid consultant uh, businesses out there uh, that will help students navigate this process, what their fees are or if they have uh, discounts for students in certain income brackets or whatever, or certain deals, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. There are certainly some people out there that are trying to, to help, um, but it's got to be a lot more robust and available uh, in order to turn that tide, I think. So... Love it. Well, I could feel your passion. I could hear it. Yeah, I almost <laughs> started so ranting, much. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I think that's uh, it's always better to you know let let your thoughts out there. So appreciate you sharing all your insight and knowledge. Thank you. Absolutely. I was wondering, where do you think um, our listeners could connect with you? Yeah, definitely. Is that um, LinkedIn? LinkedIn is great. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. on there. I try to be pretty active. Um, you know, I, I, I like to be more active with my own thoughts rather than just reposting, but that's the content you're pretty much going to see. So I'll, I'll, I'll always repost and then put some, some comments or thoughts. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's probably best to, to reach out to me, and then we can go through emails after that. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no, posting, creating your own posts is, is a full-time job. So if yeah. you're busy, I know you got a third child on the way, like that's – that's a full-time job on top of another full-time yeah. job. So it's <laughs> yeah. a lot. Yep. Yep. Well, I'm excited. 
That's amazing. Well, it was great having you on today. You know, thanks again for joining us. And to our listeners, come uh, come join us on the next episode. All right. Thanks, Cheryl. Awesome. Thank you, Kurt.